Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, it is time to take care of business, and we're going to do that in a variety of ways here. Got a lot of questions that cover a broad spectrum of work applications today. As always, listeners wanting to know if you can uh, be a consultant as opposed to an employee and still take care of benefits. We'll address that. Somebody wants to know if he can make a living doodling. And so we've got some examples of that. Somebody else wonders, what do you do if somebody's just lazy? How do you get them past that? So as usual, lots of variety and things coming up here. Hey, this week I had the privilege of interviewing Lori Beth Jones. You may recognize her name from some of her past books. She wrote The Path back in 1997, which is a process of developing your own mission statement and has been used by lots of people for doing just that. And then she wrote a book, Jesus CEO, Jesus in Blue Jeans. Her newest book is Jesus Career Counselor. And she talks about the different personality styles rather than using dominance, influencing, steadiness, and compliance like we use on the DISC profile. She uses terms that are water, fire, wind, and earth. So you can probably figure out the combinations there, but just an interesting gal. And I was delighted to interview her. I'm going to have that up. I'll... Um, well, I'm not sure how I'm going to put that up. I've already recorded the interview, but I'll make a note so you can find that easily, probably from 48days.net. But 30 minutes with her, and I think worth listening to her insights into the opportunities today and understanding yourself so you find a correct match. Well, we've got a lot going on, as always. Uh, we're, we're gearing up for the cruise. We're having a lot more people now. The cruise is in February. That's going to be right over Valentine's Day. And we're having a lot more people inquire about that and starting to make those plans. You know, it's interesting how short term a lot of people plan their lives. Now, now we see this. You know, let me just kind of unpack this a little bit. I talk about this with, with uh, my buddy Dave Ramsey a lot because we see it borne out financially so much. If somebody makes eight bucks an hour, they think week to week, they get a paycheck on Friday by Monday. It's gone. They start all over again. If you rent to somebody like that, you really ought to collect rent once a week, not once a month because their time thinking is so short as people's income goes up, as they start to make $70,000, they start to think year to year, gee, next year, we're going to you know, start a Roth, uh, a Roth IRA next year. We're going to, you know, go on vacation here or whatever, and people who have incomes that are you know, $250,000 and up, they're always thinking five and 10 years out. Now, you may think, well, it'd be easy to do if I were making a quarter of a million dollars a year. I'd think in longer terms. But, you know, this is like the chicken and the egg. I find that if people stretch their planning time out, so you really do start to see where you're going to be three to five years out, it's amazing what happens on the income side of that equation as well. All of a sudden, things start happening. Bigger things come into view than what you imagined were possible just simply because you identified where you wanted to be in a longer time frame out. Now, I've mentioned that just threw that in because I was talking about the cruise, but the cruise being a few months out, you know, we'll have people at the last minute who are scrambling to say, you know, is there any way I can still get on there? And typically there's not because cruise ships fill up early. I mean, even in a down economy, believe me, people go on cruises. Um, so if you're interested in that, you know, now is the time. Uh, there's information on anywhere you go on 48days.net.com. My blogs, you're going to see information about the cruise. You can click on that. Talk to my buddy Pierce Mars, who's handling all the questions about that. Pierce and Lisa went with us on a cruise last year, the No More Mondays cruise. It was their first cruise. They celebrated their 25th anniversary at sea. They had a wonderful time, and he's our he's our cheerleader right now for that. As a matter of fact, uh, we're going to be doing a an open tele-seminar, not on the cruise specifically, but it's going to address some of the things we're going to detail more on the cruise, but it's going to be about the power of continued learning. And certainly being on a cruise is going to be one of those examples, one of those times. Now, let me go right to the questions here. Uh, these are all tied together. Incidentally, we've also got other events coming up. As you know, you hear me mention them. You see them promoted if you're on our mailing list in any form or fashion. 
But uh, we just had the last Coaching with Excellence event for the year. Those are scheduled again for January, May, and September of, of 2011. And we already have people booking those out. People who do plan ahead are planning vacations or whatever they have to do around the times where they want to be here at the sanctuary for one of our live events. We're just right on top of the last Right to the Bank event for the year as well. I mean, we gear down. I mean, the months of October, November, December are not good to plan live events like that. Well, they're not good in a couple respects. They're not good because uh, I know that a lot of you have other things going on with the holidays as all, as Joanne and I do. So I don't like to plan things in those months. We travel a lot, go see family and friends, do our own little plan time. So I just don't schedule live events in those months typically. But uh, check out the schedules. We'd be delighted to see you booking your time to come see us even next year. Well, Kathy says, could you recommend any writing workshops in the Twin Cities metro area? I do have at least one or two books in me and would have loved to have gone to the writing workshop you had in June and so on. She says, I've been underemployed as a Spanish teacher and an RN, registered nurse. I have a degree in psychology, nursing, and I'm two terms short of an elementary education degree. I'm also searching for an idea to pull all my skills together for a small business. I've read 48 days, no more Mondays. I think I'm scared of failure. I'm going to take a community education course on small business and go from there. Well, Kathy, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned you think you're scared of failure. You know what I find that people are more frightened of than failure? Success. Now, that may sound kind of hard to understand, but really that's true. You know, it's easy to be a failure. There's really no expectations. People aren't going to require much of you if you're a failure. So that's a pretty easy landing point. The real challenge is to be a success because then you've got people pulling at you from all sides. You have more responsibility, certainly more opportunity, but more responsibility in doing that. You know, I I read just recently something about, golly, something about being poor. What was it? I mean, I've always said, you know, the best way to help the poor is make sure you're not one of them. And it's pretty hard to really do anything significant in helping the poor and the underserved around the world if you are just one more of them. You know, do something that's going to give you the resources to make a difference. And a lot of times, too, and this is one of those uh, deep pits theologically, but a lot of times people couch their apparent desire to be in poverty thinking that it's somehow more righteous. But I think a lot of times that quest for righteousness is, again, just a simply a way to avoid the responsibility that comes with wealth, that comes with having money. So be real clear what, you're, what you are afraid of, Kathy. It may be success that you're afraid of. And if so, unpack that. Try to figure out why would that be? What am I avoiding? What would be challenging for me if I were extremely successful? And you may uncover the real obstacle, the roadblock here, rather than thinking you're afraid of failure. Incidentally, in terms of uh, continued learning and and learning how to write, golly, I mean, just a real quick, let me give you a 30-second overview here. In 19, no, in 2002, in 2002, I went to a Mark Victor Hansen Mega Book University. Now, this is just something that Mark Victor Hansen, co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, was promoting to help people who wanted to be writers and authors. So I went. It was in California. I mean, it was $695, as I recall. In 2002, that was a lot of money for me, even then. But I wanted to be a writer. I was starting to do some things with my own self-published 48 Days to the Work You Love and a three-ring binder. So I went. I went, flew to California, went to that workshop, came home with a head full of ideas and just started doing things. In the next couple of years, I sold over a couple million dollars worth of 48 Days to the Work You Love. In 2005, I got the first real traditional publishing deal for that book, and it's gone on to do uh, extremely well since then. I continued to use the principles I had learned in that early seminar, and incidentally, I kept going back. I went back there multiple times to the same workshop, Took other people with me. Dave and Sharon Ramsey went with me with us one time. Uh, met Kent and Julian there. Other people whose names you'd recognize. You know, I learned 
uh, got to know them at workshops and seminars like that. But then I got another, a bigger deal in, in 08. And at this point, you know, even with publishing struggling, yes, I've got plenty of publishers who would like to talk to me. But now it was that little $695 investment at the beginning that really opened my eyes to how to do this right. And just one more example. I mean, I've been a glutton for workshops and seminars all my life, continue to be. I've got two coming up in the month of October, actually three. I've got three workshops. Well, there's a couple that I'm going to speak at, but then a couple that I'm just going to. The combination actually is four workshops in the month of October that I'm going to. I continue to do that. If I'm not speaking, I'm writing notes and learning, believe me. And a lot of them I look to go to as a participant just because I want to continue my own learning curve. Okay. This comes from, well, let's see. I don't see the name here. He says, I have an unusual habit of doodling on styrofoam cups. It started as a stress relief at work, but has grown into something I do in my free time now. Several people have asked me to make a cup and have suggested I sell them. Any suggestions on how I get exposure outside of work? Yeah, golly, if you're a doodler, I mean, enjoy the process. I mean, look at Scott Adams, what he's done with Dilbert. Now, he started just simply by doodling at work. These funny little characters making fun of the bureaucracy and politics in a lot of workplaces, and he's uh, done pretty well with that little doodling concept, to say the least. I mean, Gary Larson, Farside, same kind of thing. I mean, there, there are so many ideas that can be leveraged if you put them on cups or calendars or hats or T-shirts or pens and so on and so forth. Yeah, go ahead and leverage that. I have a cup that a client sent me. Now, it was totally black. She sent me a gift basket. It had all kinds of things in there, candies and writing pens and post-it notes and things like that. And a, and a mug, it's totally black. And I thought, well, that's different. I mean, but I guess I don't have a totally black mug, so put it in a cupboard. We probably had it for a couple months when one morning Joanne pulled it out. Well, it turns out that when you pour hot liquid in this cup, a beautiful eagle appears on the side. The cup totally changes color and this beautiful eagle appears. Well, it's one of my most favorite cups. I mean, I I almost missed the uh, uniqueness of it and could have put it in garage sale items, I guess. But, uh, I mean, wow, what a cool kind of thing. Now, Starbucks, you know, has those unique sayings, quotations on the side of their cups. Now, they used to have a program called The Way I See It. You could submit quotations, and if they selected it, it would be on a cup with your name and contact information there as well. I'm not sure they're doing that anymore. They got a lot of flack. I mean, no matter what you put out there as a quotation, I mean, I get the same thing. If I put... If I put a quotation in my newsletter by Woodrow Wilson, I'm going to get somebody hammering me because of Woodrow Wilson's politics. You know, or, or God forbid if I put something on there by Karl Marx. I mean, it doesn't matter if uh, it was a brilliant quotation and, and a quote. I'm going to get hammered because people associate him with communism. And why would I quote anything that came out of his mouth? Well, if you remember in the Bible, God used... Uh, horses and donkeys to talk, to speak wisdom now and then. Uh, I think we find wisdom and truth in a lot of places, but uh, Starbucks got hammered for a lot of the quotes they put on there. It was either too Christian, too New Age, too Republican, too Democrat, too socialistic, whatever. And I'm not sure they're even doing that anymore. I'm not a Starbucks guy, not a coffee drinker, so I'm not sure, but I think they have unplugged that program. But sayings, quotes, doodling on coffee mugs is a great idea. Now, you can go to street fairs. I mean, just make up a little batch of them. You can try your ideas real quick. You'll get feedback instantly to see if people really respond well to these. And if so, yeah, you can make a lot of money. I mean, the basic ingredients, a coffee mug is extremely cheap. And you can elevate the price of that to nine or 10 bucks if there's a quotation on it and people really respond to that or a doodle in your case. But go to street fairs, trade shows, and go to places where vendors shop. I mean, there's a big convention called ICRS. It's the International Christian Retailers Show. And there are bookstore owner, owners who are looking for unique items to sell. So if it lines up in that arena, you know, go to places like that. Certainly online, you can do that. Now, here's a couple of, let me give you a couple of sites where you can go to test your ideas with no expense at all. Go to Zazzle. 
Zazzle, Z-A-Z-Z-L-E dot com slash mugs. And you're going to see a whole ton of mugs there. These are things that people have designed. No cost to you. You put in your design. If somebody purchases the mug with your design on it, then you get a back end commission. It's a very no risk, great way to do it. A lot of people have gotten their start in doing exactly what you're talking about by doing it there. The other one is Cafe Press. CafePress.com and then just put in coffee mugs and you're going to get the same kind of thing. You can design it, put it up there, no cost to you. You don't have to buy any inventory. And if people buy those, then it will generate income for you as well. Yeah, great question. Absolutely do your doodling. I mean, my goodness. I mean, we so often don't value those kind of skills. Well, hey, go back to you know doing your computer programming. Forget that little garbage. And we probably squash the next Scott, Al- Scott Adams with a Dilbert in doing so. Mike says, Dan, I've come to the realization that my best future lies in working for myself. Well, hey, all right. Uh, the problem I have that is in being a solopreneur requires constant selling, selling oneself and selling my products and services. I'm a high CS. Now, the CS, you know, somebody who is very analytical behind the scenes, not a party animal, not a cheerleader, not out in front. And so on. So he says, Mike says, I'm not a naturally outgoing, gregarious person. I am, however, humble, easy to get along with, exceptionally loyal and attentive to details. Outsourcing sales duties for my small business is not an option. So what advice do you have for someone who wants to operate their own business but lacks the skills necessary to sell himself and his products? Thanks for all you do, Mike. In Illinois, Mike, you have three options. Number one, learn how to sell yourself. Now, you can do that. I mean, you don't have to become the blue suede shoe kind of nose-to-nose, belly-to-belly salesman. You can learn how to sell effectively with what you have. Now, I don't know what product or service you have, but that's one option. Learn how to sell yourself. Number two is outsource the sales duties. You say outsourcing sales duties for my small business is not an option. I don't don't know why. I, I really don't understand why. I mean, if you're talking about there's not enough revenue to justify paying somebody, then simply put somebody on a commission basis. You can guarantee a good salesperson zero. I mean, the best salespeople in the world typically don't have a base salary at all. They go out and make their two and $300,000 a year because they know what they do and they continue to do that well. I mean, the lower a salesperson's skills are, the more they're going to want a guarantee. I mean, it comes all the way down. I mean, obviously, somebody that's working the counter at, a, at the 7-Eleven, they are in sales. But do you really see them as a salesperson? No, they're being paid seven fifty an hour to stand there and interrupt their cell phone conversations if somebody comes up and wants to give them money, you know, for a, a Coke or a bag of potato chips. So, I mean, that's a very poor example of being in selling. But people who really understand selling, just go out and do it. So you can have salespeople where you don't, where there's no cost to you at all. The only cost is a portion of revenue that they would generate. So. I said there's three options. One, learn how to sell yourself. Two, outsource the sales duties. Three, develop systems to do your selling. Now, if you want a pretty clear example, go to 48days.com. I mean, people buy there 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And the selling is generated because... I include little notes in my newsletter. We send out an email blast. Says, Here's a really great book that you ought to get. Here's a package we put together. Hey, we've got an overrun on this product for 10 bucks. You can get it. But it's all done where I never talk to a person. I never pick up the phone. I never make a sales call. We simply have an audience based on giving people a lot of information. And so our selling is all done based on having systems in place, 100%. Those are your options. You're going to have to do one of those. If you can't figure out a way to do one of those, by all means, do not start your own business because you're right. Having some kind of a skill is not enough or having a great product is not enough. You don't have a business until you have a sales and marketing plan fully in place. I mean, that's a number one killer of small business. It's not that a person didn't know what they were doing or they didn't have a good product or service. It's that they did not know how to sell, did not put a system in place to make that happen. You've got to do it. Bob from Florida says, Dan, I'm about to turn 40 and work in a middle management position that is okay, but has been burning me out for quite some time. 
I'm looking to going back to school to complete a master's degree in mathematics online. Despite the fact that it's a challenging subject, I believe that if I complete the degree within four years, I will have a skill set that will keep me employed, whether teaching in college when the baby boomer professors continue to retire, as well as professional opportunities in tutoring, financial consulting, and so on. The risk that I'm considering is leaving my full-time job and going full steam ahead, taking classes. Do you think this is a good idea to leave my full-time job in such a lousy economy? My wife has a stable job, is really coming into her own with a lot of special projects. Combining a part-time job with what I sell on eBay on a weekly basis will not match my current income, but I will be earning money every week. I believe the math credentials will make me more marketable, whether I work for myself or with a future employer. Okay, I appreciate the advice and so on and so forth. Well, Bob, here's the deal. For one thing, if you go full steam ahead, now I'm not sure you say you want to get a master's degree, so let's just assume that you already have a bachelor's degree. Um, and then you talk about if you complete the degree within four years. Well, if you, if you have a bachelor's degree, let's say it's a two-year master's program, you can get that in a whole lot shorter time frame than two years. I mean, it, people, if you go full steam in an online program, a traditional bachelor's degree that is four years, I mean, I see people complete those in 14, 15, 18 months all the time. A four-year degree, yes, a fully accredited four-year degree. Because think about it. I mean, what does a typical college education include? Ball games, fraternity parties, chasing the girls, screwing around, wasting time talking. I mean, if you extract all of that out, the time actually spent in learning comes down to a pretty short period of time. Even if we if we go to an online program, usually you condense the process dramatically. I mean, I, I've taught at the university level. I mean, I, I love the system. I love the process. love the environment of being around academics and all that. But, I mean, get real. I mean, if, if at the end of the day you need to know what is in a 240-page textbook, I mean, do you really need to go in three hours twice a week and sit on your behind and listen to somebody, you know, talk about where he went fishing last weekend because he's trying to fill the time to go through a 12-week semester program or quarter program. I mean, online it allows you to, here's the material. When you can prove competence in this material, you can move on. I mean, if you do that in one week, rock and roll, you move on. I mean, it doesn't need to take you 12 weeks to do that if you're doing it at your own speed, which online education allows you to do. So I think you ought to look realistically at what could you do? How could you, how quickly could you do this? Now, the other thing is, yeah, I, I don't think you ought to just unplug your real job. If that means that, golly, now you're going to go have to go borrow student loan debt, borrow money and go into debt to make this happen. I mean, with where you are, if your wife is working, you got a part-time job, you're doing some things on eBay, figure out how to do this where you never have to borrow a penny. But condense the time where you have to do it. Create a financial plan where you don't have to go into additional debt. And if with that, if you can work that out, absolutely go ahead and do it. Now, when I went back to graduate school, I mean, I'd been out of, uh, I'd had my bachelor's degree for about four years from Ohio State University. Decided to go back and get my master's degree in clinical psychology. And I wanted to really do it full time. I didn't want to drag it out, make it all, I wanted to do it full time. So we packed up and moved and uh, I was ready to start my master's degree. Now, I had interviewed and interviewed well with the school, and so I had a teaching assistantship that erased my tuition and paid me $200 a month. Now, this was a long time ago, but $200 a month. We lived in a house where I negotiated with the landlady that I would do improvements on the house while we lived there. We lived there two and a half years, and I never paid a penny rent because I painted, I uncovered a couple of old fireplaces. I rebuilt the back patio. I did things just in my spare time that totally erased all of our rent. So I had no tuition, no rent. Uh, sold my Jag XKE before I went back and bought an old $600 Plymouth satellite, four-door Plymouth satellite. I'll always in my mind indelibly have etched the image of that old gold Plymouth satellite as being the low point in my car history. But it was with a purpose. It, I knew it wasn't permanent. It was to get us through 
those two and a half years where I got my master's degree. Joanne did tailored clothing for ladies who were hard to fit. Now, you can create whatever visual image you want to about that, but you probably got it pretty accurate. But she did that. So we had nothing that tied us down particularly. We had a lot of freedom, and we loved those years that we were there, but we never borrowed a penny. And we simply, then I got my master's degree and we booked out of there. But look at a way to do that. Make it a, make it a fun part of your life, but don't make it something that then leaves a big cloud of debt hanging over you for the next 20 years, like a lot of students do getting their master's. Nah, not going to do that. John says, Dan, do you recommend using Twitter and social networking to aid in the job search? I know you are more for the mailing out letters method, so I'm not sure. John sent the note from his BlackBerry. Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the social networks and what they can do. However, I think you have to be realistic about how that plays into a job search. You know, you're not going to tweet somebody and say, hey, dude, will you hire me? Or make a great Im- impression in 140 characters. Absolutely not. I mean, I would never do that. I would, and see, I would go beyond that. I would never use email just because you can <laughs> I mean, uh, John Stewart does a really funny uh, skit um, on the Daily Show about just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, it's based on putting the mosque near the Twin Towers, but they did that takeoff that went in some pretty funny directions. But, I mean, certainly that's true in a lot of areas. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. This is one of those. Just because you can tweet somebody, just because you can email somebody, or just because you can fax somebody doesn't mean it's wise to do so, and I do not encourage those in a job search. Now, can you use things like LinkedIn as a social network to increase your networking, ask for leads, get contacts? Sure, absolutely. But when it comes down to making a personal approach to a company, I still want to see that in a physical form, traditional snail mail as the first point of contact. We have a whole lot of research that shows us that's the only thing that's taken seriously. When you blast people, and I know a lot of companies say, gee, just do it online, blah, blah, blah. That just puts them in the driver's seat and allows them to screen you out. You're already in a weak position if you're just filling out an online form for a company. Put it together, and I lay this out in 48 Days to the Work You Love, and with an introduction letter, then a cover letter and resume, then a phone follow-up. That's the process that is still getting people job opportunities all the time. Incidentally, when we talk about the reader just before this, Bob asked about, you know, is this a good idea to leave my full-time job in such a lousy economy? Here's a startling fact for you to digest. Success Magazine says that in the second quarter of this year, so we're talking April, May, and June, in the second quarter of this year, 2010, more people quit their jobs then we're laid off or fired. Now that's a startling statistic. More people quit their jobs than were laid off or fired. Now it gives us, well, well there, there's a couple ways to approach this. I mean, one is you think, well, people are tired of working hard. Uh, they're convinced the government's going to take care of them no matter what anyway. Unemployment's been extended, you know, to some ungodly number of weeks. And so they're just going to ride that out. Well, but I don't really think it is that. I don't think it's people just escaping work in mass and thinking that somebody's going to take care of them. I think that people really don't feel as trapped as what the media may tell us that people ought to feel. People realize the workplace is changing. And so they're recognizing new opportunities and just saying, you know what? Now's as good a time as anything to put myself in the driver's seat. I'm going to waltz, and while everything's so volatile and up in the air anyway, I'm going to figure out what I really want to do, be that finding another job with another company, which is certainly doable. The number one concern in a brand new survey, the number one concern of employers is finding and keeping good talent. Now, you may think, well, geez, they ought to have a, an excess of applicants because of 15 million people out of work something in that arena. There's a whole lot of people for any one given position. No, I had a very good friend this morning tell me that he is looking right now. He could hire 17 web designers if he could find them. He's paying more than he's ever paid. He's paying moving expenses, relocation, benefits, and so on, bonuses. 17 if he could find them. Now, what that means is 
if you leave your job, you just put yourself in the job market and you want a job, you better be pretty clear about what it is you do well. You better be able to convey the value that you bring to the table. But if you're able to do that, the opportunities are unlimited. And also, obviously, with uh, uh, I talk a lot about the change in work models, so there are a lot of new opportunities that didn't exist just a couple years ago. And so people are saying, boy, now's a great time to start that little delivery business I want to do. Boy, now's a great time to start doodling on coffee mugs and selling those. I mean, they're really, I mean, the things I described even for that idea. So if you want to doodle or write your quotations on the side of coffee mugs, you don't have to rent a little shop somewhere and buy 5,000 of those, risk the money that you have tied up and then them buy your own ink supplies, learn how to print on the mugs or pay to have those manufactured. You don't need to do any of that. I mean, with eBay, Amazon, and then, of course, the sites that I mentioned like Zazzle and Cafe Press, you can be in business tonight without having to do any of those things. You have zero expense, but you are legitimately in business. So a lot of people are saying, man, now's a great time. I'm tired of the bureaucracy and politics of the workplace. I'm just going to knock out here and do something on my own. But yeah, more people quit their jobs in the second quarter of this year than were laid off or fired. Startling, startling statistic. And we don't read about that a whole lot. Now, you'll find it in places like Success Magazine, but you aren't going to find that in the Wall Street Journal. Um, You're going to find the news that perpetuates the idea that we're in a recession and nobody's hiring and the economy is bad. Okay, enough on that. Corey says, Dan, I wanted to start my own consulting company regarding wellness for employees. Created my own website, corporatewellnessconsult.com. Had some business cards printed up. My next step is identifying companies. What's the best way to do this? I drafted a wellness newsletter with an article about wellness to create top-of-mind positioning. I was going to mail this out to about 30 or 40 companies. Is this the best way to get clients? Now, I went to your website, Corey. I went to corporatewellnessconsult.com. My first piece of advice, kill the flash page opening. It's old school. It takes way too long to open. It adds nothing to conveying the meaning of what you do, the value of what you do. Man, I would kill that sucker today. I would also make your site personal and specific. I can't really tell what your services are, how I'm going to be charged for that. You know, on your about page, there's no picture. It says, as a registered nurse with over three years experience in the occupational health, blah, 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 so on and so forth. It's totally generic. It doesn't even specify gender. I mean, a lot of people are going to assume that they're talking to a female because it's a registered nurse. And I suspect from your name that you are a male. It doesn't even indicate that. I mean, make this personal. Get away from being so commercial and impersonal. People aren't going to hire you because you have the greatest wellness program. around. They're going to hire you because they like you. They know you and trust you. People hire a person, not just a set of skills or, or, or knowledge. So make your site something that is engaging, not just facts and figures and knowledge. That's not what gets you clients. In terms of how you get corporate clients for wellness programs, when I was doing corporate workshops years ago in leadership development, I used a program called Nurture Marketing. And I would encourage you to go right there. Jim Cecil, great old guy, developed this Nurture Marketing and you can go to nurturemarketing.com and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. I purchased those materials. Again, when I want to know how to do something, I get a coach or buy the software or somehow get an instructional manual to let me know how to do it. So I did that with Nurture Marketing. I would encourage you, now this is not like getting a job where I say, yeah, I'll identify 30 to 40 companies. You really need to increase the numbers here, and you can very easily do that. I would identify... 120 companies in your market area that are targets for the wellness program. And certainly you're going to be able to find that. I mean, you, you live in, well, Cincinnati, Ohio, my gosh, there's going to be thousands, but I would identify 120 or so. That's exactly what I did. But what I did with the nurture marketing, nurture marketing shows you a process of becoming a resource of information. If you just sent out a flyer and says, I do corporate wellness, please hire me. Now you're going to 
you're going to tank. It's not going to go anywhere. But if you send out information that says, wow, you know, these companies using these systems for corporate wellness decrease their absenteeism for sickness or people dying of cancer or whatever it is. I mean, give them some information that is pertinent to their company and become a resource of information. When I use the program of Nurture Marketing, the 120 companies I identified got something from me every month. It was not sales copy. Now, this was back before the scares and the mail and all that, but I know one time I put a letter in there and I had a little rubber frog in, in the envelope. Well, that makes kind of a lumpy envelope, and obviously that's going to get opened even if they don't recognize the sender. And then the top-line content was something like, did you ever hire somebody you thought was a prince and turned out to be something else? Well, just a little funny connection to a frog in there. But I would do that every month. So we created what we call in marketing top-of-mind positioning so that when somebody did need some input about leadership development, they were struggling. I mean, Deutsche Bank contacted me because they were having people leaving in droves that they had promoted into management positions. Well, it was because the people weren't properly matched with what they were doing. But it was those continuous notes from me just with information. I mean, one time I had a dollar bill paperclip to the top, you know, hiring the wrong person drains these right from your bottom line, those kind of things. But you can use that kind of process and absolutely put yourself in the top of mind positioning to do wellness programs. This one says, I have a job where they constantly try to promote me. I've been in retail for about 16 years and realize a promotion would diminish my quality of life. It seems like I can get every job I don't want, but can't get jobs I really want. How do I break the chains and go in a different direction? Well, this this really lends itself to one of the core principles that I talk about in 48 Days, where meaningful work has to blend three things. Number one, your skills and abilities. Number two, your personality traits. Number three, your values, dreams, and passions. See, a lot of people have created a career path based only on the fact that they have the ability to do that. I mean, I see a lot of attorneys and dentists and physicians and pastors who have proven their ability to do what they do, but their life sucks because it doesn't blend their personality tendencies, their values, dreams, and passions. So be careful about responding to only what you have the ability to do. I mean, my gosh, by the time you're 30 years old, you ought to have the ability to do 150 different things in jobs or careers. That alone is not enough of a factor. You have to blend those three areas. So just because you're offered a promotion doesn't mean you need to take it. Now, there was a book written back in 1969, Dr. Lawrence Peter, and you're probably familiar with it. It's called The Peter Principle, and it says that in American business, people get promoted to a level of incompetence. I mean, it doesn't take uh, too much looking to uh, see examples of this. I mean, what do banks do? They hire seven little gals to be tellers. And uh, golly, this one little gal everybody asks for when they come in, she's really good with the people. She knows their names, their kids' birthdays, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the year, how do they reward her? By promoting her out of that position. Now she's going to be a loan officer. So she squeaks by another couple years, not really happy doing that. But now she's been there a couple more years. How do they reward her? They make her a branch manager. And now they tell her, hey, we don't really care what your people skills are like. You know, how much people like you, unless you are generating 13 new commercial accounts every month, your job's on the line. And a lot of times those people leave burned out, frustrated, wounded, not sure what happened. That's the Peter principle. We promote people right up away from what they do well. We reward them by putting them in something they don't know or do well. So you need to understand what is it that you do with excellence? Where do you thrive? And then you need to be willing to stick your feet in if necessary and say, you know what? Thanks for the offer, but that does not fit me well. This is what I really need to do. Now, that doesn't mean you stay stagnant, never move up in responsibility or compensation. But you still ought to be using the same skills, not having you bounce around in terms of the skill set required. Robert says, Dan, is there his uh, subject title is to consult or not consult. The benefits are the answer. Dan, is there really a difference? Either I get benefits as an employee and make less, or I consult and get no benefits but charge more. It evens out, right? How do I come out ahead, though? A good enough reason for me would be to be self-employed, but is there more I'm missing? 
Well, it's a great question, and it really relates to a transition, what I think is a soft transition that a whole lot of people are making. But let me just give you some kind of a formula here. If you are an employee, you need to be generating three to five times what you're being paid. So if you're making $15 an hour, you must be generating, well, that would be what, 45 to 75 dollars an hour for the company or if you're making forty thousand dollars a year believe me you're not bringing in forty one thousand dollars in revenue that would be a horrible business model if you're making forty thousand dollars a year for a company your efforts ought to be making that company a hundred and twenty to two hundred thousand dollars so if you go out on your own you ought to be able to capture some of that margin okay now let's just kind of frame it like this if you're a graphic artist making fifteen dollars an hour if you go out on your own you're not going to charge fifteen dollars an hour I mean, nobody would expect that. But more likely, you're going to charge 40 to $60 an hour. But now, as a freelancer or as a consultant or as an independent contractor, contingency worker, temp, whatever you want to call it, you're not going to bill for 40 hours a week. I mean, that would be unrealistic. If you're in business for yourself, you want, you want to try to bill for 25 hours because you're then going to expect to spend the other 15 hours doing marketing and administrative tasks. Now, that's something that a lot of people kind of blunder. They think, well, if I charge X number of dollars and then I work 40 hours a week, you're not going to do that as an independent consultant because there's going to be other components of running your own business that have to be done. So unless you want to extend your work hour or work week from 40 hours to 65 hours, you know, don't expect to bill for 40. So bill for, for 25. But if we take this as an example, so... You know, you're going to bill 25 hours, but you're going... Now, so in this example, if, as I was using, if you're a graphic designer, graphic artist, you're charging $40 an hour, but you're only billing for 25 hours of work. So at $15 an hour in your old job, you would have been making $600 a week. As a consultant or freelance worker, billing at 40 but only working in your area of strongest talent, 25 hours a week, you jump your income to $1,000 a week. So the question then is, can you take care of your own benefits with a 65% increase in your income? Well, I would hope so. And anything you have as benefits, I mean, translates into money. I mean, if it's a company car, if it's a 401k contribution, if it's medical care, dental, I mean, time at the con- company condo and Destin, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, it all translates into money. If you can increase your income 65%, trust me, uh, nobody's benefits account for that much even the former GM workers, you know, just figure out what you need to do on your own to make it worthwhile. Of course, I fully believe that the other benefits, you know, the the emotional benefits and time freedom and ability to, you know, connect with family and all those things. I mean, it's hard to put dollar amounts on those things that I see people enjoy so dramatically more. All right, let me grab a couple more here. This one... um, from Tucson. How do you determine if someone is just being lazy? What do you tell them when they are? Any good resources or things to do to inspire lazy people if you can't control their food supply? <laughs> well, being able to control their food supply ultimately would be a good thing if somebody's lazy because, you know what? Hungry people tend to figure out something to do at least. I mean, the the Bible tells us that clearly. Henry Ford said, nobody can think straight who does not work. Idleness warps the mind. Tony Robbins says, people are not lazy. They simply have impotent goals. That is, goals that don't inspire them. Now, if somebody is lazy, you know, I suspect that something is going on. Yeah, they're going to have to try to figure out what is the single detail or problem that's holding them back. You know, is it just something too complicated and they feel overwhelmed? Or... Now, you know, when my son, Jared, went to Rwanda, it was really interesting to see how some things developed because he needed some workers in some of the little microenterprises that he put together. And these guys, let's say they're used to making a dollar a day. We thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have everybody in town want to work for me. I'll have the best workers in town because I'll pay them $5 a day. Well, guess what? They work Monday, get paid $5. Tuesday, they don't show up. Wednesday, they don't show up. They got everything they expected for the entire week. They aren't motivated in the same way that we are. 
they don't go after money. So you've got to figure out what motivates a person. I used to have aerobic gals, you know, these cute little aerobic gals working in my health and fitness center. And I discovered real quickly, they'd work harder to be awarded a $12 plaque in front of all their peers where we were clapping and applauding than they were, than they would for a $500 bonus in their paycheck. So you have to figure out what motivates a person. I mean, everybody's motivated to do something. If you can figure out what that is, and, and a lot of times I think lazy people have just not identified what it is that motivates them. I mean, I don't understand it, believe me. I mean, when I see people who continue to live in generations of poverty, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, is it laziness or is there some other factor that causes those people to be so self-defeating? I mean, I used to think just education would help. And I've seen countless times again that just education and knowledge doesn't a lot of times do the trick either. But I suspect we're working with other things than just pure laziness. But ultimately, you can't change that person who is lazy. You're going to have to make sure you keep your own things going. I mean, I, I can't change other people. Now, I'm thrilled when people say, gee, I read your book and it changed my life, blah, blah, blah. But that person did something to change. Not me. I can't change another person. I can talk till the cows come home. But... You know, the person has to decide, I'm going to change my life. I wish I had clear criteria about what gets somebody up off the couch and they go do something and another person stays there for 20 years. Not sure. I'm not an expert in that arena. Mike says, you know what, I'm going to have to make this the last question. Mike from Elizabethtown, Kentucky says, Dan, I'm 26. I've been in sales since I was 16. I was sales manager for Staples. I've been in leadership positions most of my working life. My biggest passion is leadership or the lack thereof. I see a big need in leadership development. I want to be a life coach, but no college. Now what? Well, Mike, if you've got the ability to coach people, I mean, success is an unbelievable breeder of success. You get a couple of people that you worked with and they're telling everybody, oh my gosh, Mike, help me, you know, really get it in gear. My income doubled, blah, blah, blah. You're going to have people lined up saying, I want you to coach me. They are not going to line up and say, where did you go to school? What degrees do you have? What certification do you have? What licensure do you have? It just doesn't happen. I mean, I just virtually never have somebody ask me about my credentials. Sometimes I kind of wish they would. I'd like to at least give a little bit of my history. That's not what they're interested in. They're only interested in, wow, I read one of your books. I heard you on, you know, Ramsey's show. I saw you on TV. You worked with my neighbor three years ago. I want you to work with me. I mean, look at some of the the most prominent coaches out there. Tony Robbins. I mean, he just had that show on NBC, Breakthrough. Now, they only showed it for a couple weeks, unfortunately. But, you know, Breakthrough, just transforming people's lives. I mean, he's worked with several different presidents, I mean, notable people, celebrities all over the world. Tony Robbins, I think, finished high school. Frankly, I'm not real sure if he did. I think he finished high school. But I know pretty factually that he never had any college or any kind of... I mean, does that diminish what he's able to do? I mean, on his biography, it says he attended Glendora High School. But it does not say that he finished. Brian Tracy is another one. I mean, Brian's work is just all over the globe. He's written tons of books and self-help manuals. He's got, there are programs in universities that have his name because he set up foundations for that and all. And again, I mean, he dropped out of school. He dropped out of high school, but he went on to be a great coach. You can do the same thing. No, I'm not diminishing the value of education by any means. Don't take it in that way. But what I'm saying is, don't let that stop you. Now, you can start being a coach, position yourself as a coach, and then you can continue to be a glutton for seminars and workshops and educational programs. I mean, I read everything that comes out about coaching. I continue to go to workshops. I'm going to a workshop this next week in Portland, Oregon, on living a better life. It's on how to write a better story. And I'm fully confident that if I am taught by somebody how to write a better story, it'll have application to make me a better coach in working with people and doing the same thing in their lives. I mean, I do that a lot. I go to seminars to make me a better coach. So just jump on the train. Believe me, it's moving fast. There's tremendous opportunities for coaches, but you don't need to wait on college. And if I were to recommend that you go to college, I have no idea what I would recommend as a college major to make you a good coach. 
I mean, should you study? Golly, should you study physiology to know how the brain works? Should you study psychology to know how people act? Should you study counseling? I mean, it's really pretty hard because I see coaches who are extremely effective, who had a, have a wide variety of academic and work experiential backgrounds. And yet they're great coaches because they draw on their own life experience. Got a young coach. I've got to get him on here and interview him. But uh, he, he recently had a thing where he, uh, somebody asked him, gee, how much it's going to cost for you to coach me? And he said a million dollars a year. He said it in jest. And there was a pause, and the lady said, what do I get for that? He described what she would get for that, how much contact, three times a month, blah, blah, blah. He just signed her up for the second year. Now, this is a, a real story. I know the guy. He's a young guy, much younger than I. But um, what an incredible story because he has become known as a coach. Well, I'm going to wrap it up with that. Dan Mellar, your friend on this journey we're all on together. Again, check us out. Check us out for the No More Mondays cruise. We're going to have a blast. Going to have some world-class speakers there and an opportunity to enjoy some exotic ports in the middle of February when it's cold everywhere that most of us live. Get down there, some blue water, and some great times together, just sharing ideas, brainstorming ideas together. Join us on 48days.net. Uh, if you got a question that you want to shoot in here, just shoot it in to askdan at 48days.com. My pleasure to review those each week with you and uh, just uh, figure out how we can do this thing we call life to better and how we can all be finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. I know you're doing the same. Let us hear from you. Have a great week.